Brilliant. Welcome to the podcast, the CBGS podcast. I'm delighted to say that not only are we back in our home and our studio, which we're going to talk about in a moment, uh, but Paul Waite is, is sitting opposite me and ready to go. I thought you were going to say something about the recording equipment then. That's well, much more exciting. I was, but I was just introducing you, and I think we should mention it, that the, 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 the flashy jingle there, you could, you could hear you talking just at the end of it because we've, <laughs> we've played it live because we have new equipment for the podcast. So the first part of our brand new studio is sat on the desk in front of us, and it's a really nice Rode Podcaster Pro for anybody that's a little bit geeky and into their equipment. And um, it, it looks good. There's a lot of, lots of bright colours. Yeah, it's very Christmassy. It is, actually. It's almost, yeah, it's, it's arrived in time for Christmas. But we've, we should mention that we've got a lot of equipment coming. I'm really excited. We're sat in a studio at the moment. We're back in the studio this week. And it's taking shape. There's a few boxes. And it's, 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 <laughs> it's a, mess. a work in progress. But this will be transformed over the next two months into a state-of-the-art recording studio, which is really exciting. Fantastic. And that, that is, uh, that's on its way, and we'll obviously put lots of pictures up of that as it happens. Right, let's get into the podcast uh, this week. We're going to be talking about Brexit and the effects Ooh. on business. Now, although Brexit could still effectively be some way off, the general election will have a bearing on, I guess, how, when, and if... Brexit happens. Uh, thankfully, we're not going to get into too much detail uh, into politics um, and the election, but perhaps it is a good time just to talk about the effects of Brexit on business again, because people will be making decisions over the next few weeks, which could uh, affect them. There's been so many campaigns um, from the government, you could say maybe propaganda, and uh, the impact of Brexit on businesses here in the UK. Uh, the most prominent probably being the Are You Ready for Brexit posters and adverts that you've seen around and probably paid more attention to uh, if you're well, the a motorway ones, I think, are the ones that really grabbed me. Yes. I've done the motorway and they say, Are you ready for so and so? You know. Yeah, it's been all over. Like the world's going to be invaded by Martians on. Certain day or something, and that's a really good point. And we, as from a business point of view, we'll look at that today because yeah. there's been a lot of talk. And again, I go back to the word propaganda from the the, the Brexit campaigners about businesses being ready for this. Um, before we talk about Aspen Way and the potential that it, it may have on us, let's ask the question: How a No Deal Brexit affects UK businesses, in in your opinion? Well, that's a very good question because. Um, Obviously, when you um, when you listen to the media and the people that are uh, interviewed, I don't think it's actually a single person, other than um, political commentators, and even even they are very biased, who actually tell the truth. So I think propaganda was a, a good word you used, and it, it was interesting when I was listening to you. I, I, I was minded about how I feel every year when I listen to the budget, and and. I think what um, what the budget shows me is that nobody in politics actually understands the difference between a large business and a small business. So when they talk about business, uh, they they think they're talking about all businesses. So you hear them talking about corporation tax rates and companies doing this, that, and the other. And actually, nearly all the time, what they're actually talking about in reality are the very very super large client uh, companies. So, you know, in the past, I've heard chancellors talking about things that have happened in the budget, and actually they're only going to affect 10,000 companies. It's actually something like 3 million limited companies in the UK. So 
the Brexit thing, the no deal Brexit or Brexit in, in, in itself is a great example of people saying sensationalist things that they know very little about. So we, we covered this in a, a previous podcast, actually, the exact percentage of businesses that are remotely affected by Brexit in the first place is something like 10%. You know, I can't remember the exact number, it's like 11 or 9 or something, but it's, it's that sort of number. So to bring, to bring some of the things you said to me prior to going on, on air today, Ben, uh, I can't think of a single client that's actually asked for my opinion on what they should do. Why is that? Because Brexit, and, and especially a no-deal Brexit, which, which, which is obviously seen as being much more dramatic and a sort of very right-wing, sort of fascist, almost sort of type thing to impose on the country, which is inevitably going to lead to ruin and us walking around in sackcloths and no longer being able to take penicillin and... You know, being deprived of bananas and pineapples and eating potatoes all day. I mean, that's, that's, that is the sort of scaremongering that goes on, isn't it? Walking around like Flintstones. Yeah. You know, we're, we're already with the climate change people being told to become Stone Age people. Uh, and, the, and the fact of it is, is I was very fortunate, and again, I think we covered this, I was very fortunate to attend a Question Time event in Bristol uh, about, I don't know, it was about 15 months ago. Uh, and uh, the whole topic was 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 about Brexit and the impact on business in the southwest. Uh, and and as people probably wouldn't um, be surprised, uh, the show I think there were ten managing directors in the room, and the show ended up being very much me against this lady, who was a arch Remainer, uh, Irish lady actually, Irish lady that ran a language school. Uh, and the fact of it is, so to, to give you an, an idea of the people in the room. One of the guys um, was, was a defence company that made tanks. Uh, and actually, and, and to be fair to me, uh, in the... Because uh, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was promoted by a, a local uh, magazine, a big, a big regional magazine. And when they published the magazine, I actually came out of it as the voice of reason. So it wasn't that I was being deliberately provocative and... Um, and here we have Kimmy Wimmy with, with puppy today and tea, which is always very nice. Thank uh, you, Kim. That's lovely. So Got a tea. The, the, the lady in question um, was, was, was positioning herself, I think, uh, on the more extreme side, you know, very, very much more consistent with the sorts of people you see on television, you know, where, where they tend to be very dogmatically one way or the other, you know. Uh, that's why I'm very excited, actually, about... My, my personal position as an advisor, because I do think that I have the rare ability to, to sit in the middle and see both sides, even if I don't agree with both sides, you know, which is, which is unusual. But what, you know, what, what my, um, my theme of the position I took in the question time meeting in Bristol was, like anything, you get winners and you get losers, right? We are the fifth largest economy in the world. Uh, and for instance, if you take certain things... Uh, We've got the Christmas magazine coming coming up, which I'm very excited about. We have, yeah. And um, I've asked David Shears, our resident genius, to to write about innovation. Uh, and I was speaking to him two days ago about his article, and he's going to write all about robotics and, and artificial intelligence. And of course, this is this is something which, to the best of my knowledge, you get practically no coverage whatsoever on on the BBC or Sky about uh, 
just how dominant Britain is in, in, in the field of innovation. And of course, we're totally leading the world in AI, and AI is the future. Uh, so, you know, the fact is, is that, you know, we're, we're, we're in a really, we're really good shape. I actually uh, must must declare some kind of allegiance at this point, um, and you know I'm, I'm going to take a very non non political party stance today. But when when the whole Brexit position blew up uh, a few years ago, you know before the the, the vote and everything, for probably about six months, uh, I was actually uh, on the side of Remain. Um, my son, my eldest son, uh, who was a very passionate Brexiteer used to get very upset with me and pleaded with me to change my change my mind. And and actually, to start off with, and, and I think the reason why uh, I came to the Remain position was that as a, an economist by intellectual background, uh, I don't think there's any doubt that leaving the EU in the short to medium term will see a contraction in growth and GDP falling below what it would have been if it had carried on. Uh, and I and, and I and I personally have very little truck with people who claim otherwise. The reason why uh, by the, by the by the time it actually came to the votes, I actually did vote to leave, um, wasn't because I thought that Britain would be more prosperous in the year after it. Uh, I actually developed my own website because you know I'm someone who does have an opinion, and I think uh, it's important when you have an opinion to share it with people. And my very final website article was called What Price Freedom? And I basically said, in, in, in essence, anyone who doesn't think that there will be a short-term negative economic impact of Brexit is, is a fool or mistaken. I, I'm expecting this. I think it was 3 to 5% uh, reduction in GDP, um, probably interest rates staying lower for longer, you know, things like that. But... Ultimately, I'm incredibly optimistic about the future because I am an optimistic person. You know, at the end of the day, you know, if you're a can-do person, you have to can-do. So my view was, uh, and I wrote, you know, as you, as you probably would expect with my love of history, I wrote a lot about battles like Agincourt, where, you know, where we overcome, overcame um, insurmountable odds and still managed to win in 1415, for instance. Uh, and and the, the whole sort of bulldog and buccaneering spirit of the British that saw us have the largest empire that the world has ever seen. Uh, and, and even now, you know, if you, you look at cricket as a great example, you know, we gave cricket to the world. Uh, where is the home of cricket today? India. You know, you get, you get TV audiences of like 500 million people watching cricket in India. Uh, so you can't tell me that uh, in the future that there isn't, a, there isn't a, a lot to look forward to in terms of looking to develop trade in places like China and India and Indonesia and Brazil and those sort of things. So I think a lot of it comes down to mindset. You know, I, I, I look at it, it's a, it's a challenge. Of course it's a challenge. It's probably the most significant thing that will have happened to this country since we joined the EU in the first place in 1970. It will be. It will be. Beyond all doubt. I think it's quite interesting because I asked you one that one question. You've given a, such a, a an in depth you know view on probably why we you know why we shouldn't be afraid of this as a, as a business. If you know you're listening as a business, why well, you shouldn't be afraid of it, and why history says that you know we have to overcome these things. If 
if I if I was a business, and let's, let's say a small business, because we've, we've made that distinction between large and small, and I go on to talk about the larger businesses. What do you think a small business is? Perfectly funny. Um, Tell small, me what a small business looks like to you. So when you say, in terms of you saying large businesses, you would think of the likes of, perhaps the likes of Barclays, and yeah, they'd be the, they'd be the supranational supranational businesses, which you refer to as perhaps the, the businesses that have moved. We've seen a few businesses move to France, Amsterdam, to base headquarters. We don't know yet whether the the outcome of Brexit will mean that they will close branches here at headquarters. I'm talking about not your local Barclays branch. <laughs> but for me, a small business would be a business that is predominantly. Not a national business. So if okay. we look at the likes of Tesco's, Morrison's, obviously uh, Tesco's Global, Morrison's. So really any, any private limited company, any, private, yeah. how big it is. Small business, private limited company, turnover. I don't know. I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't yeah, particularly measure it on uh, turnover. I would say just a, a business that isn't uh, your, your national, you know, national known brand really as a small business. Mm-hmm. So if I'm a small business and... I want to look at the effects of Brexit. Should I think, well, actually, history says this will be a good thing and, um, and I don't need to worry about it because it, it will affect the large uh, global companies more, as you, as you said. Or should I have a checklist? Should I be saying as a small business, would it be good if, for me to have a checklist and say, OK, I need to make sure, you know, am I, do I have any employees that are non-EU citizens? Do I have uh, anybody that needs to travel abroad? Um, you know, do, do I have any um, taxes that are governed by EU laws? Should there be a small checklist that you go through? Or do you not need to get into that level of detail? Well, you know, this may be a controversial thing to say, but uh, the point I was trying to make earlier was that the, huge, the hugely vast majority of UK businesses will barely be affected. It, it was interesting, actually, because I pride myself on being intellectually honest, as I call it. I couldn't help myself when I was listening to how you put it in your point, and I was thinking, actually, maybe there are a few points um, that I hadn't considered as much as I should have done. And maybe, as a result of this podcast today, I might just think a little bit more about perhaps whether there ought to be... I mean, one, one of my, my favourite sayings is two is better than none. Uh, uh, I, I, what that means is, you know, say, for instance... Uh, it's better to have two or something than nothing or something. So uh, being overcautious is always better than being the opposite, you know. So I think even if it was a little bit over the top, perhaps having some sort of uh, checklist uh, in all cases. So, you know, if you were taking a doomsday scenario, so you take Aspen Weight now, um, which I'm very proud of, actually. We have people working for us who are ethnically Dutch, Ukrainian, Slovakian, Hungarian... Um, that's just off the top of my head, um, and, there, and there are and there are several others. So, uh, I suppose if you if you were a person who thought the opposite of me, you know, going we were saying last week about I don't know what I don't know what no means. So, so to me, I very much operate on what I call a going concern basis. What that means is is that I'll go to bed tonight. The moon will come out in the morning. The sun will inevitably break through at seven fifteen or something. Uh, the day will start all over again, and so that will continue for millennia to come. That's just how my brain works. So, um, and as I said, the fact is that 
very in, in reality, very few businesses in terms of numbers are significantly affected by Brexit. The reason why um, in the Bristol Question Time event, the lady in particular was so passionate was because her business was affected. So when I said there's winners and losers, so it was quite interesting. I said well, there, were, there were 10 businesses there. Probably six of the 10 uh, were pretty much totally unaffected by Brexit. You had two businesses in particular that were massively affected by, by Brexit. One was hers, affected very negatively. The, the tank company was seeing its orders going up 300%. They had sold something like seventy million pounds of tanks to Germany, on 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 its own as a country in that year. So they were like, they could see nothing but hundreds of millions of pounds of sales of tanks. It's interesting that we we don't we don't hear the positives from this really, and we go back to that propaganda. We don't really hear stories like that of how posit- the positive impacts on businesses. Well, of course, all businesses, as I say, it's it's life is life is. Uh, you know, if, we, if we talk about uh, life generally, you know, the fact is life is not black and white, it's grey. Uh, I always say to people uh, on the whole, you know, uh, life is hard, get over it. You know, accept the fact, get on. The English legal system is not fair, get over it, you know. The fact is you've either got to survive in this life and make the best of it or you've got to become, you know, a more slow, flaky, making everything more difficult than it is type person. And I'm not, I'm, I'm a person who wants to see solutions. So... The fact is, there are, I don't know how many, um, I don't know, a couple of hundred thousand maybe at the most uh, companies in this country that will be, could be significantly affected by a no-deal Brexit. No, no doubt about that. And, and, and of those, I don't, I, don't, I don't think anyone can. This is the thing. You know, at the end of the day, people talk with great certainty, don't they? This is going to happen. We are going to do this. The Liberal Democrats... You know, they're going to spend the £50 billion that we're going to save by not coming out of Brexit, by, by stopping Brexit. They're going to spend it on all these things. Well, how, how do you know that? You know, we, 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 we chose as a country, extremely wisely as it turns out, not to join the EU. Right? If we had joined the EU, this country would be, I don't know how much, significantly worse off than it is. And probably if we joined the EU, uh, the difficulties in leaving in a Brexit-type situation would have been exponentially more difficult. We've only got to look at, uh, let's take Greece as, a, as the best example. Greece should never have been allowed to join the EU uh, currency in the first month, the euro, I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, I was talking about the euro then, not the EU. So, um, yeah, Greece should never have been allowed to join the euro in the first place. And actually, the EU has rules which it broke to allow Greece to join the euro, as it has done whenever it chooses to do so. And the fact is, is that the euro, the euro's strength and its whole modus operandi is built around the economy of one country, which is Germany. So you've actually got the strongest country basically creating a financial and monetary platform to suit itself when it, it, it and it doesn't, you don't have one size fits all. If I said to you, you and I were going to go down, a, down to Burton's and buy the same suit. You, you would laugh, you would, you would disdain and say, well, of course not. The same thing is equally ridiculous when it comes to economics. economics. So the fact is that Greece's economy has practically nothing in common with Germany's. You know, the, the basis of their income is completely different. So if you look at, as an economist, what should be going on in Greece at the moment, for instance, right? In, in, if, if the free market was taking over where Greece was today... 
Greece's currency would be devalued probably by 100%. What does that mean? It means that every single Greek is paying twice as much for their bottle of ouzo as they should. Okay? Everything in Greece costs twice as much as it should. And that's probably about right, actually. It's not a bad guess, I'd say. Now, if you actually look at the impact on their economy as well, that also means that they don't have the competitive advantage they ought to have. So when Greece wants to sell tons of olives to America, just as a concept, uh, those olives are now uncompetitively priced. Because in reality, those olives were made in Germany. Do you get my point? Yeah, yeah. And that is a significant point. So, you know, the fact is that um, nobody knows. And if you take, for instance, Mark Carney, you know, I'm not, who I'm not a fan of, you know, the, the governor of the Bank of England, a number of times he and other people like him have made statements about what is going to happen. Well, you know, they said that if we didn't join the euro, that we would be massively worse off. Well, in fact, the opposite is undoubtedly the case, you know. Uh, I'm very proud of this for probably, well, all my life, actually, ever since I've owned a house, uh, since 1984, I have used my economic skill, combined with my sense of business intuition, I think, to read the rates. And and, and, and this is true. This is not being um, me being arrogant. Not once in 35 years have I made the wrong decision when it's come to my own house, right? So I was fixed when I should have been fixed. So, for instance, when Black Monday happened, I had people in my office crying because, in theory, they were wiped out, and I was on 10% fixed. Worst that could happen to me was 10%, you know? And then against the trend, and against what Mark Carney said, for instance, and you can go and research this afterwards if you want, so for 10 years now, I've been variable. I've been on a variable rate, uh, and I'm paying something like 0.5% over base, okay? Now, if you looked at the mainstream of economics, economists, going back, say, seven or eight years ago, hardly anyone in the media was saying that going variable was a smart thing to do. Everyone was talking about interest rates plunging upwards. But I did what I thought was going to happen, and I've been proved right. I'm not saying this because I'm trying to claim that I'm the greatest person that ever lived. I don't happen. Maybe I've been lucky, but I've had 35 years of consistent success in forecasting interest rates. And, and, that, and what does that tell you? Maybe it tells you that a real flesh and blood person that actually has got a bit of intelligence and intuition is a smarter person than someone who just sits there deeply immersed in a spreadsheet. So, you know, the fact is that anything that anyone says about the future has to be regarded as a forecast. That's all it is. It is someone's view. It's no different to you telling me who's going to win the, pre- you know, that Man City are going to win the Premiership next year or Liverpool are, or in three years' time. You don't know. At the moment, you know, if you look at the, if you look at football at the moment, it would be really, you know, it'd be reasonable to assume that Liverpool were going to be champions this year. I think, for instance, you know, and they they have become the dominant team in English football at the moment. I, as a as a Manchester United fan like yourself, I can remember. And probably English rugby would be another good example. I can remember sitting there thinking, my team should be the dominant team now for years to come. There's no reason for it not to be. But then reality happens and and things change very quickly, don't they? So what we're saying, it's an interesting point that you made there, and so there will be a, um, a reduction in the in the growth initially that anyone could... Oh, for, I, for, beyond all doubt, it's, it's impossible. Yeah. To, I think it's impossible to say there wouldn't be. But you, so it's it's almost like Liverpool in the Premier League. Liverpool 
you, you'd be you'd be almost uh, mad to say that Liverpool won't win the Premier League because yeah. they're in a strong position. We kind of know that's going to happen. It's short-term forecasting. So if we, lose, if we use the football analogy to say that Liverpool are going to win the Premier League in five years' time, well, how on earth... Would you know? I mean, there's a chance because they're they're they're, they're okay. Well, but they'd be favourites, wouldn't they? If you were if you were a bookie at the moment, you said who's going to win the Premiership in five years' time? I'd put them as favourites. But you? you couldn't be sure. And what I'm trying to say is, if you were predicting <coughs> the economy in five years' time, you could you couldn't be sure because oh, there's make, so many different you, you factors. Make, you make predictions on the basis of assumptions, don't you? And that's exactly what we were saying. It's it's predictions. It depends what your assumptions are. And I think it's a good point that you know when you're as as a business listening to this. You know, that we go back to that word propaganda, all the things that you said there, people uh, will say things about Brexit that it is just a prediction. It's just them predicting the future based on, yeah, it's based on evidence, obviously, but, but based on assumptions. You know, let's you know, drill down to the, the core of your question. So, you know, I have to declare at this point, you know, I'm not, I'm not a VAT expert. I'm not an expert on... Um, exporting uh, particularly to uh, EU countries. I, I'm not entirely sure of all the paperwork you have to fill in to get all the duties properly done and all that. Um, there's been enough press about this. So if, if, you, are, um, if you are a company uh, that is exporting uh, goods of any, of any great significance uh, to countries that are currently in the EU, you will be affected by Brexit, whether it's a hard or soft Brexit. So it's very important if you haven't already done so. And I think the stats, if I remember rightly, are something like 40% of businesses are already all right. So if we take the, you know, if I said that 200,000 was your maximum, actually in reality, not 3 million, of those 200,000, probably 80,000 are all right anyway. They've already done their homework. They've already got all the paper in place. They've, they've filled in all the declarations they need to do. So there are, you know, in using my example, you know, you've got the rest that are left that probably haven't done as much as they should. So, you know, people people who depend, and I think this is probably, people who depend for their livelihood on exporting goods and services to the EU should be doing a lot about it. Um, now, the point is, no matter what anybody does, it doesn't matter who the Prime Minister is going to be, uh, and I mean that. It doesn't matter if it's uh, Mickey Mouse, actually, or Boris Johnson or, or, or Jeremy Corbyn. Some the similar- similarities there. <laughs> with, with or without a Brexit, there will be companies under either scenario that will be massively worse off one yeah. way or the other, right? And nothing anyone can do will change that, right? In the same way that someone has to lose in a race. If you put eight people in the final of a 100-metre sprint, someone has to come first and someone has to come last. Even if... All eight people broke the world record. You see the point? Yeah. yeah. Someone will still come last, won't they? So the, the fact is, is that, you know, in this case, um, what I think what tends to happen, I, I tend to use uh, the submarine analogy quite a lot about strength of mind. Uh, and I tell this story a lot when I'm talking to younger people in particular. And I say, if I was a submarine commander and I had 60 people uh, in, in my crew, and let's say that uh, one of the, I don't know a submarine well enough to give a good example, let's just say that one of the, one of the torpedo bays or something starts to flood, and for, and for whatever reason, three people um, are, are caught up in this, and you can, you, can, you can actually close a door, which means these three people are now going to drown, but everyone else is now going to be saved. I know that I could do that, right? 
I know that I would give the order to, to do that. Why? Because I would say 57 people. Uh, if I didn't do that, looking at it very clearly, 60 people would die, or I could let three people die, right? But was, if, you, if, you, if you look at what happens in the film, where these happen, right? How many times have you seen, you know, the Poseidon Adventure-type film, and someone screams at the captain, you murderous bastard, you don't care, don't they? Yeah. yeah that's, it's, 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 I mean, uh, but, but the fact is, is that uh, what, what people don't understand is, and this is you know, a certain part of society, which is growing, unfortunately, in number, is that sometimes in life, uh, inevitably bad things will happen. Uh, someone was saying to me yesterday, I think it was Ross, uh, you know, there's, I think there's an increase in the number of business failures at the moment, you know, suddenly increased for, for a while. But to be honest with you, business failure isn't something that I particularly associate with Aspen weight. But, but what, what my point is, is that, you know, there will be, I don't know, 20,000 businesses that are going to be really badly affected by Brexit, and that's going to happen. And there's probably very little they can do about it. But if you take uh, my approach to life, um, so you look at you, look at you right? Uh, eight weeks ago, Ben Oldham didn't exist. That recording piece of equipment didn't exist. Why do you exist? Why does that exist? Right? Did Aspen Weight Media exist 26 years ago? No. Did it exist 16 years ago? No. Did it exist six years ago? It exists because... That's my way of dealing with the future. I'm looking at the future and I'm saying this is the sort of business I want to have. All businesses should be doing that. You see what the point is? The whole point is you should be looking at your market and you should be saying, these are my customers. I want to have new customers, right? I'm selling 63% of all my olives to Bremerhaven. Why don't I sell them to Auckland? Why don't I sell them to Oslo? Why don't I sell them to Crackers? So perhaps Brexit is an opportunity well, I think, uh, again, something, it's not me, I'm not the first person who said this, but I said in a, in a meeting uh, on Monday, out of adversity comes opportunity. Exactly. Always. If you take, the, if you take um, our interview last week at Donington Golf Club, I admitted to you that without that Argyle Park moment, what, what Ross refers to in my disruption speech as the park bench moment, without the park bench moment, you wouldn't exist. Yeah, so you would exist, but you know, you know, you know what I mean. You in a different exist world, in Wakeland, perhaps you know. So that the, you, you, your, your, your position and the strength of Aspen Weight today is a reflection on my reaction to adversity, isn't it? Yeah. So therefore, out of adversity came opportunity, didn't it? It did, and it, perhaps what we're talking about now. I did write this down as a as a, as, a, as a talking point is that actually, while Brexit, and it's been extended and extended, and there's all sorts of political reasons behind that, we won't get into that. There's obviously a general election now, um, which is completely irrelevant, really. But the fact that Brexit still hasn't happened has probably just heightened and heightened the, what will the effects of Brexit be? Do we need to come out? Do we not need to come out? How will it affect my business? It's gone on for so long. And also even if it wouldn't have gone on for that long, we're in that period where nobody knows. And as soon as Brexit actually happens, it will become a lot clearer. So everything that we're talking about now, really, is probably because we're in that little period where it's just of, it's of uncertainty. And that's both ways. So uncertainty for the positives and the negatives. I think, I think there's, there's, um, there's two things that come to mind listening to you. So as an economist, and it's, this is, again, this is a fact. So one of the... In life, sometimes, very rarely, you can say this is a fact. This is not an, a, a, an opinion. 
the one thing which businesses or the economy uh, historically is guaranteed to react badly to is uncertainty, right? So it doesn't matter whether the uncertainty is to do with something bad or good. Uncertainty on the whole creates volatility and fear in the market, okay? So if, 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 if you look at it, and that's why one of, one of my other sayings is the seventh best decision is better than no decision, right? That's, that's something I say to people. Right, so what we've what's effectively happened is we could have been we could have been out of, uh, of the EU now for 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 eight months. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Um, we then had a, a hugely long gestation period in the first place to plan to get to March, let alone uh, January, as it now is. So the fact is, is that people don't like the uncertainty. So people can't make plans. So you know, at the moment. Uh, and I would have said, if, 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 if we were having this podcast six weeks ago, I would have said the chances of us remaining in the European Union were around 50%, probably, somewhere around there. I think, as of today, as a betting man, I would say they were less than 20%. To remain in the EU? Yeah. I think it's overwhelmingly likely that we are now going to leave. The point is, so we can talk about that in a minute. My point is, is that uh, just in a short period of time, I'm saying we've gone from 50-50 to almost overwhelmingly no possibility of staying in the EU now. Right? Well, if you were, if you were someone uh, whose trade was substantially affected by that decision, that's a very, really uh, unfair position to put that business in, isn't it? That business would have been better off knowing. It's a bit like being with your girlfriend and you know she doesn't really love you and, uh, and she does enough to keep you going on for weeks and weeks and weeks and you know damn well really that it'd be better just to leave. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's that sort of scenario. We've all been there. Paul's terrible analogy. Sorry about that. I think we're 40 minutes into the podcast. So I think it's fair to say that if you, people that are listening now, 40 minutes in, are listening because they, they're interested in, in the opinions. And I always feel like when you get into a podcast and you're that far in, you can start to give you know, real opinions. I want to ask you why you feel that we are now 20% chance of staying in the EU and not 50. Well, because um, because the Tories have a substantial lead over Labour in the polls. Uh, and people who I respect, particularly um, Professor John Curtis, who's who's pretty much got everything right for, for two elections or three elections in a row and has become quite uh, acknowledged, I think, as the, as the sage man of, of politics... Um, I watched an interview with him last week, and he said the odds of a Labour majority were as close to naught statistically as one could possibly measure. That's what he said. Exact words. So, um, at the moment, you know, uh, as someone who doesn't want this to happen, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll say why, it's got nothing to do with um, uh, socialism or, or anything. Um, at, at, at the moment, uh, the bookies' odds, and I look at these every day, to be clear, right? So, if we were going back to six weeks ago with my, you know, 50-50 becoming 80-20, maybe even 90-10, uh, six weeks ago, the bookies' odds were that they expected a hung parliament, right, overwhelmingly. Yeah, yeah. So I think pretty much, if you, if you convert odds into percentages, which is much easier for people who, who aren't like me, who've followed horse racing since they were four years old. Um, so six weeks ago, there was a more than a 75% chance of there being a hung parliament, okay? 
Which in itself is not good because that creates more uncertainty, doesn't it? I mean, if you look at the laughing stock that we've become in the world over the last three years, that has been because um, because we've had this uh, ridiculous position where uh, there's been nobody in control. That's the thing. It'd be like Aspen Wake not having a chief executive and just uh, people trying to do the best they could every day. That's basically what's happened in our parliament, isn't it? So... Six weeks ago, the market expected a hung parliament. The chances of the Tories getting an outright majority were, uh, say, one in four at best. You look at you look at the odds. When I looked last night, the Tories are fourteen to one on now to win. Fourteen to one on. So that means there's only one fifteenth of a chance they won't win. In other words, right? What are they? So, what's that? What are the odds based on? So, what based on money? No. What are the odds based on as far as? When you say they're like they're fourteen to one, the, oh. these are uh, prediction polls. No, this is the odds. The, 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 the bookmakers. Odds. You okay. can put a bet on, you know. So you go in and say, "I want one hundred pounds on the Conservatives winning an outright majority," and and you'll win seven pounds. That's because that's what the market is now saying. So the market has gone from saying there's a seventy five percent chance of there being a hung Parliament to a more than seventy five percent chance there'll be a Tory majority. Okay, so when I turn around to you, so and one has to be realistic about this. If the Tories win a majority, we are out of Europe, and, and the only discussion then is, you know, if you wanted to, if you wanted to have a bit of fun with this, um, would Boris Johnson take the strength of an outright majority and say, "Bugger this, uh, I'm completely renegotiating this deal," or even let's go to no deal? You know, the deal he's done at the moment. I would suggest was more soft than hard, despite what people say in in the media. I would say it was a reasonably soft Brexit, personally. Uh, if he had a fifty seat majority in the House, is he gonna? Is he one of two things? Is he gonna go back and say, "Sod this, Juncker, uh, we're not having a soft soft Brexit anymore. This is what we're gonna have." And actually, because I can, if you don't if you don't agree with me, then I'm I'm gonna leave anyway. And I think the chances of a no-deal Brexit around the middle of October were practically zero. I would say, as of today, they are now quite realistic. So it just shows how how quickly things can change. But has that not been... And I'm just going to say this right now. Thank you for listening to the... um, the podcast today. I hope you've enjoyed the uh, the business section. We did say this off air, actually, that we would, we would end up going into politics. Um, if, if that's it for you today, thank you for listening. We'll be back with a podcast next week. If you want the bonus feature of some politics, I'm going to ask a question now, which is, had the no deal, was, they put it through so that it was a, it was a legal document saying there could not be no deal. If, it, if, we've, if we've had a, uh, another election, does that then go away? So we can have a no deal? Brexit? Well, obviously... Um so for a start, uh, and, 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 and you know, uh, I think as, as as has been proven over the last few weeks, that even lawyers, including the Attorney General, have got things wrong, and you've had uh, you know people at the very highest level in Judgeland disagreeing with each other about what this and this that means. But I'm pretty pretty sure in in saying that um, there is in itself, considerable legal debate over the legal validity of what you've just said, i.e., is it really a law or is it just simply um, something that's been decided by the the biggest group in the schoolyard at a point in time, okay? Um, 
what I think is is unde- what I think is undeniably true. And if anyone doesn't agree with this, then we're very happy to to get your question afterwards by email Paula Aspen uk. But I'm pretty sure that if um, if uh, and it's not just uh, it's not just the Tories. Um, you know, if the Liberals came in, for instance, they they are intending to revoke Article Fifty altogether. Well, that that's, that that is a, undoubtedly a legal process. So, for instance, I can say to you with great certainty that the legal validity of revoking Article Fifty is definitely more legally binding than uh, the decision uh, that you can't have a No Deal Brexit. If if Parliament now comes in with a completely different shape to it, you now have three hundred and fifty Tories walking into Parliament with, say, three Brexit people that will obviously vote with them, eight to ten DUP, uh, and now you've got a majority of, you know, 50, 60, one way. Well, they can do what they like, can't they? This is true. They could change whatever they want. If they want to turn around and say, Thursday's Wednesday, that, that, that's, that's something they could do. So, uh, yes, yeah, so they could change that, that law. Yes, yeah, of course they could, Ben. Now that we've got into politics, does it surprise you at all? I'm not sure if it is, actually. I mean, just, just to be clear on this, I mean, it's very interesting, again, just to get debate from people. You know, sometimes I, get, I do get lectured by people in Aspen Waite about um, the dangers of being political or not political. And what I've tried to do today is at no stage have I actually said, this is what you should do or we should do. I've no, just it's tried a, it's a, to it's say business. what it is. You know, just so if it is if it is political or it's about politics, it's not meant to be biased. If you know what I mean, I'm just simply trying to make a point about how things are. You know, a discussion. It's just a discussion, yeah. and and it's all it all it came from the beginning of the podcast it, about business and, and the effects on business and why we're here, why we're in this situation. I want to ask you: Does it surprise you? And we can relate this back to business as well. We talked a lot about the effects. And the, the the businesses that it will affect and won't affect, and the positives and the negatives. Does it surprise you that, that the Conservatives are now uh, this uh, these this stronger favourites because Labour were the party that potentially would have another referendum, and if the, we had another referendum, the likelihood would be that we would stay in the EU based on um, predictions. Does it surprise you that, that? By the way, pardon. I don't agree with that. Okay, we'll come back to that. But does it surpri- <laughs> does it surprise you that um, we've really the only option to, to remain in the EU being Labour as, as such because they would have another referendum? Does it surprise you that the Conservatives have got this majority and that they are looking to, to go in and have this big stronghold on? That's, I mean, that, that is a, that's an interesting question there. So I'll try to um, be non-emotive about that. And it's quite difficult because as someone that uh, has very strong links to the Jewish community, including my own family... Um, Anyone who doesn't believe that the Jewish community is in total fear of a Labour government is barking mad. And one of the things that makes me really angry, uh, and I'm sorry to sort of name and shame, so let's take Lily, Lily Allen as a great example. Lily Allen posted a, a, a photograph of herself crying on Twitter yesterday. I don't know if you saw this story. I didn't see it, no. She, she was deeply moved by the beauty of the Labour manifesto, which was the most beautiful thing she had ever seen. And... I think her quote was, they said, what moved everything about it, the totality of it, everything about it was beautiful. And then I sit there and I think, well, um, yeah, so spending hundreds of billions of pounds we don't have, I mean, we could all do that, couldn't we? I could turn around to you and say, hey, Ben, you're such a good bloke, I'm going to make you a millionaire tomorrow, right? Um, well, th- that to me, that's just irresponsible, you know? So... What, what, I, what I have a problem, and I think this is, you know, one of the things that started to happen now is... 
you know, I could come at your question on a number of different levels. So on, on uh, let's say, I, one of the things I, t- I suppose, the way I've been trained is, is because my degree discipline is economics, you, you, you tend to have this um, fundamental concept in economics of what's called perfect knowledge. Okay, so people make perfect decisions based on the concept of perfect knowledge. That's what the market tries to do. So when the market says the Tories are going to win, well, it, it, it takes all the information that's available out there and it discounts it and it processes it and it says, this is what's most likely to happen. Okay, that's what, that's what happens. So, you know, if, so to me, I, I can't for the life of me understand why a good, decent, average person who cares about other people could vote for a party that is blatantly, you know, racist. And, and not just racist, dangerously racist. And the only party in UK history to have been convicted of being racist in the courts. So it's not just alleged, this is proven. This is true, yeah. yeah? You've got the Jewish, the Jewish Council producing a lead article saying, please, our fellow citizens, please do not vote for the Labour Party because you will be... You will, be, you will be bringing on, you'll be encouraging the second Holocaust. I never thought in my lifetime that I would even remotely think that. You know, we had six million people being exterminated between 19, well, th- uh, middle, middle 30s to 1945, uh, you know, in, in a period just before I was born. And that's why, you know, I, I tend to be quite affected by the war. You know, and I don't make any apology for that. You know, I've got, I've still got living family that fought in the war, for instance. Um, get well soon, Uncle Bill. And um, you know, uh, you know, there are a lot of lot of war films, as you know, in the sixties. And 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 to see a, a situation today where, well, and the thing is, you know, what's 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 ironical about this? The Jewish community as a whole. I don't really understand why. I don't know enough about this. But historically, uh, the Jewish community has been socialist. So, despite the fact that the, J- the Jews on the whole are 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 sort of synonymous with money and success, aren't they? I would suggest. The fact is that, as a generalisation, Jewish people vote Labour. That's been something for hundreds of years. Okay, I say I don't, quite, I don't quite get it, but perhaps it reflects well on them. You know, perhaps it it, it, it talks something about community and sharing or something. I don't know, but the fact is that we come from that. So the the, the building block is that Jewish people typically are socialist, vote Labour. So to have a situation now where. Not only is that not the true, but there are people... Who, I, 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 I saw the most heart-rendering interview the other day where a Jewish lady from Scotland phoned up, I think it was Ian Dale on LBC, and she was crying down the phone saying how terrified she was of what was going to happen to her in the future. You know? This is, this is real. This is not made up. So does Lily Allen not care? Does, does Lily Allen think... Oh, oh well, you know, this is a beautiful manifest- manifesto if you happen to be in the right part of the schoolyard. But if you're in the, in the naughty part of the schoolyard, oh, no, who gives a shit? Do you know what I mean? It's ill-informed, I think, some of the, the people that the comments on, uh, on, on the likes of Twitter and social media as a whole, probably. And it's probably, let's be honest, it's probably not a good time to be on social media with your opinions. And there, indeed, there was a, a, a stance taken by... Um, I'm trying to remember if it was Twitter or Facebook where they said we're not having any political... Twitter said we're not having any political slogans. You're not allowed to to use Twitter to your political advantage in this campaign, which I thought was quite a good thing um, because they wanted it to be a fair vote based on facts and not just opinions going round. Um, And and we actually had... uh, we have an incident where uh, the Conservative Party actually got in trouble 
or there was a, a bit of talk on, on, on Tuesday night because they'd used uh, a certain image on their social media, which was to, to rule fact and opinion when they shouldn't have done that. But I digress a little bit, but I think probably Lily That's Allen ill-informed a, li- a little on social media. No, I think you know. I think um, so. Let's let's talk about. Um, let's, let's try and get because uh, obviously I'm a, I'm emotive about that subject, and I'm, I'm apologise if, if if it came out or so. But it's heartfelt and it's true, so I make no apology for that. I think um, I read a really interesting article in the Times uh, the other Sunday, um, and I think this probably sums it up. On the whole, doesn't matter how intelligent you are. People, on the whole, as a generalisation, aren't stupid, right? They're, they're, they're savvy, in other words. Um, and one of the things I was talking to one of my Welsh clients about in the Celtic Manor this week was that um, I think anyone that's lived long enough sees through socialism, for instance. They see through left-wing policies because you've lived long enough to see it doesn't work. So once you, And it's, it's true, if you look at voting trends, by the time you get to about 50 years old, nearly everyone votes Tory, Right. Uh, as a generalisation, people between 18 and 30 vote left-wing, uh, and then the older you get, you get more and more right-wing, if, if that's the right way of putting it, okay? Um, now, I think people people on the whole are not stupid enough. So you take... Uh, I, I talk about my mum a lot in this respect. So my mum taught me that if you've got a pound, you can't buy the fish fingers that cost pound ten. You buy the fish fingers that cost 88p. My mother's name is Scott. She is a thrifty lady, right? I've been brought up on good old values, good old-fashioned values of housekeeping. You know, you don't spend what you don't have. So I think the greater majority of British people understand that. So if someone says, um, actually, here's a cup of tea, there's 10 units in that cup of tea, but I'm going to spend 20 units. I'm going to, I'm going to create a tea urn of 20 units. People go, well, hang on a minute. Where's the other 10 units coming from? Because there's only 10 units in there, isn't there? So I think when, on the whole, although, um, you know, you could say, I don't know whether, I don't know whether I believe this or not, certain things in the Labour manifesto maybe are, are utopian, maybe even, you know? But the fact is, they're not achievable. They, they would lead to debt for 50 years probably that's not a ridiculous thing to say so i think the vast majority of decent people see through that the other thing which i thought was uh i i expect we're, we're, we're winding up now so i think the defining thing i probably would like to say is uh, a, a a lady from south wales was interviewed and she was asked what she thought about uh, the general election and boris johnson in particular and she was asked firstly she they, she was asked did she trust him and she said no and then, and, and, and then she said, and she stopped and she said, no, but he's got balls of steel, hasn't he? And I'm damn well going to vote for him, she said. Right? So I think that's a very good point, that. So she doesn't trust him, but he had balls of steel, right? And, and what the article was all about is that, on the whole, people like strength. People like strength in people who are telling them what to do. If you're going to have a leader, what do you want to have? A weak leader or a strong leader? Look what happened to this country when Theresa May was was put in charge of this country. Something I've put in my article, uh, my lead article for the Christmas magazine, is Margaret Thatcher said, people who drive down the middle of the road will hit people coming in both directions, right? I don't drive down the middle of the road. Boris Johnson doesn't drive down the middle of the road. Boris Johnson drives down the right-hand side of the road. He doesn't hit anybody on the left-hand side of the road, right? What happens is is 
So if, if, we, if we took that analogy, so probably Theresa May was probably approved of by 20% of the population, probably only despised by 20% of the population, right? Boris Johnson is loved by 35% of the population and hated by 35% of the population. Who do you want to be? I got, one, I got one question for you at the end of this podcast. We're 57 minutes in. Which side of the road does Jeremy Corbyn drive on? Oh, well, uh, you could even argue he's not on the road. He's, he's on the path somewhere to the left of the road. And I think that's or perhaps a- he doesn't even know there is a road. He's on the road that never ends because he's going to keep building the road so it keeps going on forever. What a fantastic way to end the podcast. It's, it's, we've talked about uh, Brexit, we've talked about the effects on business, and we've delved a little bit into the, the, sur- the surrounds of that uh, and the uh, political uh, state of, of the country. And um, it's been thoroughly enjoyable, and we've got a great track to end the podcast now. Yeah, today is a... So, um, I, 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 I don't know how to... I think, I think, I think probably um, my wife uh, uh, introduced me to this, this song. Uh, because I play a lot of music on YouTube, on my television... Uh, the, you know, in this day of um, of uh, technology, the, the YouTube sort of uh, tries to predict what you're going to like, doesn't it? So, uh, I listened to this track for the first time a few weeks ago, and it's called "Iodine Red" by a lady called Carla Werner. Um, it's a little bit Lana Del Rey esque, but probably a bit softer, a bit less vulgar, uh, and, and 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 actually rather beautiful, hauntingly beautiful, and and a wonderful song. Uh, it's one of those songs you think. I should have heard this song before. It's so wonderful. It's it's one of those songs that you want everyone else to know. And one of the things I, I you know, we talk sometimes about things like legacy, you know. So um, with with me, uh, I want to create a legacy. One of the things I want to do on the radio side is I want people to get the joy of listening to tracks that I know, you know. So that's one of the things that we try to do at Aspen Way and we will be doing in, in the years to come with our radio station. So I'm going to let you all decide, listeners, how great you think this track is, but I think you're going to thank me for it. So it's Iodine Red by Carla Werner. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Don't forget to uh, share the podcast, tell somebody about the podcast and uh, follow us uh, across social media. Uh, it's at Aspen Way. You can get your thoughts into us and we'll get some of those on the podcast next week, which will be coming uh, live from Bristol. Uh, thank you, Paul. Uh, for today and uh, here's the track This morning I woke up Felt like a monk Silently observing Something celebrate I've been dreaming of the sea in love It feels like I'm obsolete giving away pieces of me No loving in return for what I give you easily I'll take it
Christmas.